Thank you so much, team, for leading us in worship this morning. And isn't that our prayer, church, that the ancient words of Scripture would impart life and hope and strength to our hearts in our worship today. So today, we're going to open our hearts to the book of Jonah. So after Daniel, in those pages of your Bible that kind of stick together, you will find Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. So if you don't have a Bible today, make sure, raise your hand. You would definitely want to have a copy of God's Word in front of you today as we're looking at all four chapters of Jonah in today's message together. Now, last night, this room was filled to the brim with people coming to do a special fundraising banquet for, that was put on by our rooted high school and junior high students as they sought to raise support for their upcoming summer camp and missions trip to San Francisco. It was a great evening, and I'm thrilled to report to you that last night, God raised over $10,000 from the generosity of everybody who is here towards those trips. That is a huge encouragement to all of the 74 people going to camp, and the 25 people going to San Francisco later this summer. So thank you so much for your partnership in this life-changing work. Now, we still have a few more funds to raise before they can go. So we're still trying to raise an additional $33,000 after last night. So there's an opportunity for you to still give. You can give online or through our normal giving means and just designate it to one of those trips And as we lead up to these trips at the end of June and the end of July, we're excited about how all of us together as a church can partner to help give these students a life-changing experience with God's Spirit in these out-of-comfort-zone kinds of experiences. So thank you again for your generosity, church. It was a great evening last night. And students, if there are any of you here this morning, we just want to say we are so proud of you. We love you as your church, and we are for you. It is a joy to partner with you students in your lives. Now, today's sermon is on Jonah. And this is our last message in the series, More Than a Children's Story. And so I pray that we've all rediscovered the goodness of God and the greatness of God as we've preached through these wonderful Old Testament accounts together these last 12 messages. So after our focus next Sunday on God's heart for orphans, we are going to start a brand new preaching series here, and it's going to be on Paul's letter to the Ephesians. So I'm very, very excited about what God's going to teach us in the next pulpit series through Ephesians as we all learn together how to build up the body of Christ, his church, through our study of Ephesians. But today, we turn our hearts to God's heart for sinners. And so we're going to watch as God deals with his sinful prophet Jonah, and God deals with the sinful Ninevites, and as God deals with sinners, we're going to see God's heart exposed. So to set the table, I'm going to read from Jonah chapter 4, where verse 2 directly describes God's heart. So if you're able, please stand in honor of the public reading of God's word as I read from the ESV translation, 
from Jonah chapter 4, starting in verse 1. But it displeased Jonah. Now, it here refers to God's mercy towards Nineveh, okay? So God's mercy towards Nineveh displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord, and he said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was still in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Please pray with me. Oh, Father God, you are the You are the creator of this church, and you are the teacher of this church. And so, Father, we come with dependent and excited and eager hearts this morning, praying that your spirit would do a miracle, that you would take your word and you would turn caterpillars into butterflies, that you would transform stony hearts into hearts of flesh, that you would take blind eyes and cause them to see once and for all the beauty of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. This morning we're talking about mercy because we're talking about your heart towards sinners. So I pray, Father, please help us to realize that you are a God who is eager to forgive our sin. You are a God who cares for us You are a God that we do not need to fear or despise or question or to judge, but you are a God that will satisfy us. Your mercies are new every morning, so God, please come and give us faith in your mercy. Transform us and cause us to be born again by your mercy. Oh God, please magnify your name so that mercy would triumph over judgment in all of our hearts today. And all of God's people would say, amen. Well, for obvious reasons, most children's Bible story books titled this account, Jonah and the Big Fish. But when you read through these four chapters carefully, you quickly realize this historical account is about way more than a miraculous story with a large fish. This book could be better titled, Jonah and the Big God. After all, I think we can all easily relate to Jonah's rocky relationship with his huge God in this account, right? Have you ever questioned God's mercy towards sinners? Have you ever thought that there's some kinds of sinners, maybe sinners that are personally known to you, that should never receive God's mercy. Or if I can get into your kitchen for just a moment, I know it's early, but have you ever refused? Have you ever refused to forgive someone that God has already forgiven himself? 
See, Jonah is a fascinating, fascinating study of the blinding self-pity and sinful anger and bitterness of the human heart. Let me ask it this way. Have you ever thought that God existed for you? Have you ever thought, I I deserve more of God's mercy than those wicked sinners out there who are far more sinful than I am? Oh, Jonah is far more than a children's story. This book portrays the glorious doctrine of God's sovereign election in salvation. This book exposes the foolish idolatry which tries to make God in my own image. This story reveals a huge God, a God who rules and reigns majestically over every part of creation and yet abounds in staggering compassion towards sinners like me and sinners like you. See, whether God is dealing with the sins of his own Jewish prophet or whether God is dealing with the sins of his enemies in the Gentile nation of Assyria, this account shows us that God's mercy towards sinners is both wonderful and it is miraculous. Oh yes, God did a miracle, a true miracle, by delivering Jonah from the drowning through a large fish. There's no scientific explanation for how any human could survive living inside a large fish in the depths of the Mediterranean Sea for three days and three nights. That is indeed miraculous salvation by our God. But God's fish is not the greatest miracle of Jonah. God's favor is. Jonah teaches that God's mercy towards sinners is wonderful. It is truly miraculous. There's no explanation for why our God should treat sinners like me and sinners like you with such undeserved mercy and favor. So let's approach this minor prophet with fresh eyes. As we renew our minds in this glorious revelation of God's merciful heart towards sinners like us. Jonah neatly divides into four sections or four chapters. Chapter one is the great commission. Chapter two is the great confession. Chapter three is the great conversion. And chapter four is the great confrontation. So let's dive into chapter one where we encounter God's mercy in the Great Commission. Verse 1 reads, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amnitai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up against me. Now look carefully at verse 1. Who is speaking in verse 1? Well, obviously God is speaking to Jonah here, but notice what title is given to the speaker. The word of the Lord is the speaker who gives this great commission, right? The word is personified here. Just like in John chapter 1, where it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as from the Son, from, from the only Son from the Father. So translation, one of Jesus' names is the Word. 
So here in Jonah 1.1, we see the word or Jesus himself sending his prophet to sinners. And I want you to notice this aspect of God's mercy because God sends Jonah to sinners. Uh, Verse 3 is very clear. Jonah didn't ask God to go to Nineveh. And certainly the sinful Ninevites were not asking God to come and save them. But God's mercy towards sinners is so wonderful that even before sinners ask for help from God, God is mercifully working to send for their salvation. Now don't miss this. Jonah is the only Jewish prophet sent to a Gentile nation. All the other biblical prophets were sent to God's people. But here, God sends his prophet to the Gentiles. This is in partial fulfillment of the promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. This is a foretaste of the great commission that Jesus gave to his disciples in Matthew chapter 28. When he said, go make disciples of all the nations. But please understand this. Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. And the Assyrians were ruthless enemies of God's people. I mean, if you picture the worst possible war crimes, the worst possible terrorists in the world's history, the Ninevites boasted of those horrors. Their extreme evil was well known in the ancient world. And God's people in Jonah's day would have had more distaste and more distrust and more disgust for the Ninevites and the Assyrian people than any other people group in the world. So how did Jonah respond to this great commission in verse 3? Well, instead of traveling the 550 miles northeast to Nineveh, Jonah heads south towards Joppa, boards a ship that heads to Spain, some 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. Can you relate to Jonah? Do you ever refuse to obey Jesus? Do you flee Jesus' disciple-making commands? Do you ever refuse to show mercy to those whom God has shown mercy? Do you ever think, oh, I can hide from God? Well, stubborn rebellion will always lead to depression. Verses 5 and 6 reveal that Jonah was numbing all of his conviction against sin with too much sleep. I'll just sleep off my guilt. Once I get to Spain, I'll feel better. God won't be able to use me anymore to help the Ninevites. But loved ones, consider the mercy of our God who rules over all. God reigns. God reigns over every part of his creation in the rest of chapter 1. In verse 4, God commands the wind and the sea, and the wind and the sea obey. In verse 7, God directs the lot casting of the sailors to Jonah. When the sailors eventually throw Jonah overboard, in verse 14, they acknowledge that they are submitting to God's will. 
In verse 16, these same sailors worship God for saving their lives. And then God even commands a great fish in verse 17 to swallow Jonah. So don't miss this. All of creation is obeying God in chapter 1 except for God's own prophet, Jonah. And what is God's heart towards sinful Jonah? God pursues Jonah. Yes, with disciplinary love. But he wonderfully and he miraculously makes a way for Jonah's life to be spared even through death apart from Jonah's own choice and apart from Jonah's deserving. So chapter 1 ends with Jonah in the belly of God's fish for three days and three nights, which leads us to God's mercy in the great confession, the great confession of chapter 2. Now before we consider Jonah's confession in chapter 2. It's pop quiz time. Are you awake yet? It's time for a pop quiz. Just one question on this quiz. Was Jonah alive for the entire three days he was in the fish? Or did Jonah die? And was he then resurrected miraculously when the fish vomited him out onto dry land in verse 10? Now certainly, no matter how you answer that question, Everybody agrees Jonah lived long enough in the fish to pray because chapter 2, verse 1 records that Jonah prays from the belly of the fish. But some wonder if Matthew chapter 12 suggests that Jonah actually died and was resurrected. Because in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus uses Jonah as a sign of his own resurrection from the dead when he said, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now remember, for the Jews, they considered three days, that amount of time, to be the final proof of someone's death. That's why, by the way, Jesus waited until day four to go and raise Lazarus from the dead. Because the Jews knew no life could ever be resuscitated after three days in the tomb. So there's no way to know for sure. And of course, God preserved Jonah through a miracle of mercy either way, whether it was the miracle of resurrection or the miracle of sustained life in the belly of a fish for three days in the Mediterranean. But I admit, I I am intrigued by this idea that Jonah may have actually died in the fish to be resurrected again in verse 10 because of Jesus' words in Matthew 12, but also because of what Jonah says in chapter 2. In verse 2, Jonah says, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried. Now, Sheol literally means the grave or the afterlife. In verse 5, Jonah says, the waters closed over me to take my life. In verse 6, he says, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit. And in verse 7, Jonah refers to his life as fainting away. So while it's an interesting pop quiz question, we can only speculate on which way God miraculously showed his rebellious prophet mercy. But now let's look closer at Jonah's confession. First in verse two, where Jonah says, I called out to Yahweh 
out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you, Yahweh, heard my voice. This is wonderful mercy. God hears every time a sinner calls out in repentance to God. This is wonderful mercy. God hears you, sinner, every time you call out to God in repentance. And there's only one reason why a holy and all-powerful God should ever listen to the prayer of a sinner. And that reason is mercy. Mercy. Jonah knew that he was sinning against God. Verse 10 of chapter 1 makes that clear. But in verse 8 of chapter 2, Jonah confesses his sin of idolatry. When he says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. And then in verse 9, Jonah recommits to worshiping and obeying God. And he acknowledges that salvation belongs to Yahweh. Did you see that last phrase of verse 9? That's actually the theme sentence of the entire book of Jonah. So be sure to highlight it and bold it and underline it and star it in your Bibles. Salvation belongs to the Lord. In other words, salvation is God's responsibility and salvation of sinners is God's prerogative. God saves. No human decision is responsible for our salvation. No human ministry is responsible for our salvation. No ethnic background, no religious pedigree is responsible for our salvation. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And it is fully up to our merciful God on which sinners will receive resurrection power unto salvation and which will be eternally condemned to suffer the just consequences of their own sin. Salvation belongs to Yahweh. Now certainly Jonah's repentance in chapter 2 is not perfect. Because Jonah continues to sin in chapter 4. But church, aren't you thankful that the merciful heart of our God is, that the heart of our God is so merciful to sinners like us? He doesn't demand perfect repentance before he forgives us. God doesn't require for us to have a perfect confession or a perfect repentance before he's eager to save us. Salvation belongs to Yahweh, not to the quality of our confession, not to the quality of our repentance from sin. So chapter 2 concludes with the sinful prophet being miraculously heard and miraculously saved by God's merciful heart working through a vomiting fish, which leads to God's mercy in the great conversion that is reported in chapter 3. In verse 1, we see that our God is a God of second chances. For Jesus comes to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Call out to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, we know from chapter 4, verse 11, that Nineveh had more than 120,000 young children in it. 
Because if you look at verse 11 of chapter 4, it says these children were so young, they didn't yet know the difference between their right and their left. So if this city had 120,000 three and four year olds, then we can extrapolate that the total population of Nineveh at this time was close to 600,000 people. To put that in perspective, the Nineveh of Jonah's day would have been the same size as the city of Las Vegas today or the city of Washington, D.C. So Jonah probably had a three-day strategy for his prophecy. The first day, he's going to go into the city. He's going to start speaking to the people. The second day, he's going to try to get an audience with the king. And the third day, he's going to go on past that and talk to the crowds again as he makes his way to the end of the city proclaiming the simple message of God's judgment. After all, did you notice what God told Jonah to preach in verses 2 of both chapters 1 and 3? Jonah was to proclaim a message of God's judgment against sin. Because get this, God warns sinners of the judgment that sin is storing up against them. And this warning of sin's judgment is actually a ministry of mercy. Oh, loved ones, a guilty conscience is actually the mercy of God at work in you to draw you to repentance. You must never ignore the merciful ministry of guilt. It is God's mercy that warns sinners like me and like you of the real consequences of our sin against him. So in verse 4, Jonah's message is simple. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. 40 days. God's going to destroy you. Now look at the amazing miracle of verse 5. Remember, the Assyrians are the most notorious terrorists. They're the most violent abusers of people. They are haters of God. The Assyrians were the greatest enemy to God's people in this time. And verse 5 miraculously reports, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast. They put on sackcloth. From the greatest of them to the least of them. In verse 6, the king of Nineveh rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, sat in ashes. He issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands who knows God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish church this is the greatest revival ever recorded in human history the great revival of Pentecost saw 3,000 souls born again in one day but here, after just one day of Jonah's preaching, a simple message of God's judgment against sin, an entire city of 600,000 people repented of their sins with fasting and prayer and faith in God. This is a far greater miracle than one man being saved in a fish underwater for three days. 
Do you see God's heart for sinners? Salvation belongs to God. There is no human explanation for why all these violent sinners would believe Jonah and become converted. This is the great miracle of mercy. This is the miracle of salvation. God relents from the judgment that the Ninevites rightly deserve. And he instead mercifully delivers them from his own wrath. Oh, church, just put yourself in the shoes of one of our global partners who even this morning is ministering in a strong Muslim context in North Africa. And if they call us and said, God has miraculously brought faith to my city. The entire city of Las Vegas is born again. The entire city of Washington, D.C. is now believes the Lord and is worshiping Yahweh. Can you imagine the dancing? Can you imagine the celebration? Can you imagine the tears and the wonder and the awe and the joy and the singing and the celebration? But Jonah had none of that. Which leads us to God's mercy in the great confrontation in chapter 4. Chapter 4 contains a confrontation between Jonah and God that abruptly ends with a question which purposefully puts us as readers in the position of answering ourselves, how will we respond to God's sovereign mercy towards sinners? Verse 1 literally says it was exceedingly evil. Did you catch that? The, the, the Hebrew is clear. It literally says it was exceedingly evil to Jonah. And he was angry that God would show mercy to such vile sinners outside of the Jews. So don't race past this. Jonah wasn't just upset that the Assyrians received the same pardon as he did. Jonah was convinced that God was now evil because he did not punish his enemies. Jonah believed God was no longer fair. It just wasn't right for God to extend mercy outside of Israel and relent from punishing Gentile sinners like they deserved. And so, but Jonah betrays what he knew about God's heart for sinners all along in verse two. Oh, Yahweh, is not this what I said when I was still in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Spain, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. You see, Jonah knew. He knew the heart of God towards sinners. He knew it from Exodus 34, 6. But Jonah despised that God would bring glory to himself by showing mercy to whom he would show mercy and by being gracious to whom he would be gracious. Jonah was so concerned with justice that he could never rejoice with mercy. And then we see Jonah's nationalistic idolatry show up again in verse 3. Therefore, God, take my life. I'd rather die than see the God of Israel treat sinful Gentiles with such undeserved mercy. If this is the kind of God you are, then I no longer want to live for you. But in verse 4, God questions the anger of Jonah. Hey, Jonah, 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 come here. Do you have good reasons 
to be so angry with me? Have you forgotten Genesis 12, 3? Have, have you forgotten from where I have brought my people? What selfish concern causes you to despise my miraculous and wonderful mercy towards sinners? Do you really think, Jonah, that your standard of justice is higher than mine? But Jonah was so blinded by his self-righteous pursuit of justice that he went out of the city and he made a shade booth and he sat down to wait for God to rain down fire and brimstone upon the Assyrians. Now, instead of punishing Jonah for his pride, verse 6 explains how God mercifully commanded a plant to miraculously grow enough in one day to provide shade and relief to Jonah from the Middle Eastern sun. So notice, notice carefully what God is doing through this object lesson of mercy. Through the plant, God is showing Jonah the goodness of his mercy. Because mercy, by definition, is neither fair nor unjust. God's mercy is wonderful. God's mercy is always undeserved. And God's mercy is miraculous. The end of verse 6 makes it clear that Jonah was exceedingly glad when God showed mercy to him with this plant. But the next day, in verse 7, God commanded a worm to kill the plant. And then God commanded the sun and the wind to afflict Jonah so much that at the end of verse 8, Jonah asked for God to take his life. So again, in verse 9, God asked the same question about the plant that he had asked about the Ninevites back in verse 4. Jonah, Jonah, come here, come here. Do you, do you have good reasons to be so angry with me about this plant? Now, please, church, humble yourself enough to see our own sinful hearts in Jonah's brash response. Yes, I'm right to be angry with you. In fact, if this is what kind of God you are, then I don't want to live anymore for you. And hear God's merciful confrontation in verse 10. Jonah, Jonah, you care so much about one plant that you had nothing to do with. I gave you the plant and I took the plant away from you. But if you care so much about my plant, wouldn't you care even more about animals? Like cattle? Because cattle are certainly more valuable than plants. But if you cared about cattle, wouldn't you care even more about people? For truly a person who is created in the image of God is worth far more than a cow and far more than the plants that that cow would eat. You see, that's the point of verse 11. God is making an argument from the lesser to the greater. Jonah, if you so strongly desire for me to show mercy to a simple plant, shouldn't you desire much more for me to have mercy on 120,000 young children who have been created to bear my own image? Your anger at my mercy is not motivated by justice at all, but rather by selfish nationalism and idolatrous pride. See, God's mercy towards sinners like the Assyrians and sinners like Jonah is actually wonderful and miraculous. 
So then lay down your pride. Church, I'm going to talk to you now. Lay, Lay down your demands for vengeance. Lay down your bitterness. Lay down your self-consuming anger. And do not judge God's character, but rest and rejoice in his mercy. That's our takeaway today. Jonah ends with this hanging question that each of us must answer. How do I respond when I'm confronted with God's sovereign electing mercy towards other sinners? After all, we're all like Jonah, right? We love to receive God's mercy ourselves. But how do we respond when we see God generously and miraculously pouring out his mercy towards other sinners? How do we respond when we see God forgiving our enemies? Am I more concerned about what I think is fair? Or will I truly rejoice when I see other sinners benefit from the same mercy that I receive and so enjoy myself? See, Romans 9 reminds us that we must not judge God's character when he chooses to show mercy to sinners in a way that we don't think right. God is God. And he doesn't answer to any human court He doesn't answer to you and I's imperfect understanding of justice. If God chooses Jacob instead of Esau, if God chooses to give the thief on the cross the exact same heaven as the Apostle Paul himself, what shall we say then? Is there injustice with God? By no means. For God says to Moses back in Exodus chapter 33, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then, our salvation does not depend on human will or human effort, but on God who has mercy. Translation, from a human perspective, the heart of God is not fair. The heart of God is mercy. So then, loved ones, lay down all your self-righteous demands for justice from others that you could never bear yourself. Stop reducing other people in your life to the sum total of all their past sins. Stop letting justice and fairness triumph over mercy and grace in your life. Let go of your demands for vengeance and submit to the wonderful and miraculous heart of God. You might say, but pastor, you don't understand. The way this person has sinned against me and my family has so hurt me, they will never deserve forgiveness. Can you relate to that? That's the spirit of Jonah. Listen, dear friend, if that's you, God knows your pain. But you must remember where you came from. You didn't ever deserve God's mercy either. Forgiveness is never earned. By definition, forgiveness is always mercy. 
Remember, every sinner has worth to God since every person is created in the image of God. So anytime you're more eager to see someone get God's punishment, it just means you've become selfishly blinded to the wonderful miracle of God's mercy in your own life. So open your eyes. Open your eyes to see the miraculous mercy which allows you to dance and celebrate when the prodigal child comes home. Rejoice in God's heart for you, that his heart for you is one of mercy, not judgment. All because of what Jesus did in our place. So will you entrust your soul's future to such a God, a God that you will never fully understand, but a God who is heart towards sinners is one of miraculous mercy? Will you believe that your sins can be forgiven forever and you can live forever with God simply because of Jesus' mercy by which he caused us to be born again and made new by his spirit. Oh, I pray that we would all learn this lesson from Jonah today so that we would better live for God's glory by passionately sharing God's mercy without limit and resting deeper still in God's wonderful and miraculous mercy towards us. Let's pray. So Father, thank you. Thank you for this testimony from Jonah. The fact that he wrote this himself and put himself in such a disparaging light for it shows that he truly did repent and that someday we will be with Jonah in heaven forever and all celebrating your mercy together. But Father, I know there are many in our church family today who are really, really wrestling with the spirit of Jonah in their own hearts. They, they have the spirit of the older brother. They we, we wrestle with unforgiveness and bitterness and we get so angry we'd rather die than to lay down our demands for justice. So Father, please be merciful to us and come to us like you did to Jonah and restore our soul. You, O oh God, are our salvation. Salvation belongs to you. And we profess that and we rest in that miraculous mercy together as we all say, amen.